The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. This summer at Fathom, we're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. And, and so we're going to be in Matthew 15 today. So grab your Bibles if you brought them. If you didn't bring one, there's a Bible underneath every chair. Um, or feel free to bring up Matthew 15 in a Bible app or, or a phone or something. If you're streaming online, you can click on the Bible icon there, and it's going to take you there. So here's, here's where we're going today. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to discuss this passage in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. And this passage talks about traditions and commandments, hypocrisy, worship. Uh, there's a few things for us to unpack and explain today. Uh, we're going to le- learn some Jewish terms and traditions like Mishnah and Corbin, and we're, we're going to talk about what those things mean. Um, and then we're going to discuss how sometimes our traditions may tempt us to honor God with our words only, but not with our, our hearts. And so I'm calling today's sermon Traditionally Speaking. So let's go. Uh, we've been working our way through the middle of the book of Matthew. So um, this summer, we're going through chapters 14 through 17. And in this, this section of Matthew, uh, we, we've been working through some of the phases of, of Jesus' public ministry where he begins to face rejection. So his public ministry has gained some steam and, and gained some popularity. And he's kind of becoming known as this great teacher and this healer and this miracle worker. And so crowds are following him to hear him speak and to see his mighty works. Um, He's preaching and teaching to these large crowds of people, tens of thousands at a time in some, in some instances. And he's healing people wherever he goes. People are taking notice of, of Jesus and his ministry. And whether it's back in 30 AD or in 2022 AD, what typically happens when something or someone gains popularity is that criticism soon follows. People start to look into the, the popular person or the trend or the product, and, and maybe they start start seeing some issues with it or critiques of it. Uh, they start looking for things to criticize. They begin to shape and form opinions on it, and then maybe they'll, they'll go to their blog and write a review on it or a tweet about it. Um, you think about politicians or leaders who, who begin to rise to some popularity, but then people start watching them more closely or they start digging into their backgrounds a little bit more, maybe seeing how they've acted or voted in the past. And that's kind of what's happening here with Jesus and his ministry. He's, he's becoming very popular with the crowds. He's teaching them, he's healing them, and he's becoming well-known and popular. And so naturally, as his popularity grows, he begins to face some criticism and some rejection. And so let's turn to our passage today, Matthew 15. Let's read verse one, which says, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, before we get to what they say, we're gonna stop here and talk about this verse um, as it's got some context for us. It's easy to skip over and keep going, but... Um, contextually, this verse is important. What's happening here is that while Jesus is going throughout the region of Galilee and he's, he's preaching and teaching and healing, the religious leaders back at the, the headquarters in Jerusalem, they're watching and they're, they're observing and they're critiquing him. They're, they're looking at Jesus and as disciples and they're, they're really watching for an opportunity to, to undermine Jesus and his authority and his popularity. So they're, they're looking for an opportunity to criticize him or to prove him wrong. And so they sent a delegation that was likely following Jesus and the disciples around. They were, they were listening to him preach and watching him heal. Um, they, were, they were observing them while they ate, all this stuff. They're um, watching everything that Jesus did in hopes of finding something to criticize and something to reject. 
The text says both Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus. And this is noteworthy because Pharisees and scribes were, were different groups of people. They had different roles in the Jewish uh, religious culture at that time. They, they differed a little bit theologically. Pharisees were focused on the Mosaic law and ensuring that everyone observed, observed and adhered to that law. While the scribes, they were more the teachers and, and the interpreters of the law. So both had religious authority, but, but it was in different ways. It might be like a, a congressional representative and then a state senator kind of coming together to work together on a bill or, or to support something. Like they're both, um, they're similar in that they both represent the people of their state, but they've got different roles. They're, they're um, in different parts of the government. And so Matthew's purpose in naming both of them is that even though they differed theologically in, in many ways, they came together, they kind of joined forces against Jesus here. So that's the setting and the context for today's passage. The Pharisees and the scribes, this, this kind of task force uh, sent from Jerusalem, from the, the Jewish religious headquarters, they're looking at Jesus and his disciples and they're watching their every move. They're, they're just waiting for them to slip up, to do something wrong, uh, to do something regardless or some, something regrettable or embarrassing that someone can pull out their smartphone and, and take a video of and make it go viral. That's kind of like what they're looking for. Um, they're, they're just waiting for an opportunity to catch Jesus and his disciples in the act, to catch them red-handed. And finally, in today's passage, they think they find something. They, they think they've got him. They finally have that smoking gun that they can use against Jesus. So, so what's the smoking gun? Let's, let's look at verse two to see what their, what their, uh, their gotcha is. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So after watching Jesus closely and carefully, just looking for a way to accuse them, accuse him, they come to him with not washing his hands? That's, that's the religious scandal, right? That's, that's it. Um, that's how they're going to cancel Jesus. That's like the social media post from 10 years ago that's regrettable that they're going to, that was never taken down that they're going to use against Jesus. In order to try to cancel Jesus, they accuse him of not washing his hands. Is, is, what's going on here? Let's, let's unpack this hygiene scandal a little bit more. So you remember back when the, when the pandemic started, um, there's a big focus on, on hygiene and cleanliness and, and washing your hands properly. You, you use soap and warm water and it had to be for like 20 seconds. You do like the tops of your hands, the palms, in between the fingers, you rinse properly. Um, we were kind of retrained and refocused on how to properly wash our hands. And I th this was a good thing, I think. Um, but that's not what's going on here in our story. The religious leaders weren't concerned with dirty hands or, or washing habits. What was going on here is that the religious leaders and the Jewish leaders, they had these traditions. They were sacred, orthodox traditions, ceremonial practices and duties and rituals. Uh, things like, like washing your hands before you would eat meat or washing your plates and your cups and your, your pots and pans before, every time before you used them to cook. You would sprinkle your table or your, your couch with water before you would sit at them, things, things like that. These traditions were passed down um, orally from one genera generation to another. And so they had little to no basis in Old Testament law. But the rabbis and the teachers, they followed them religiously. And so they compiled all of these traditions into a, a collection that was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was this collection of, of rituals and, and traditions. And the Mishnah said, it is a greater offense 
to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. In other words, don't contradict Scripture. That's, that's bad. But whatever you do, don't contradict the teachings and traditions of the rabbis. That's even worse. And so these religious teachers, they follow these traditions over and above the word of God and the commandments of God. And that's why they're so upset. That's why Jesus' disciples not washing their hands was so scandalous in the eyes of these leaders. It wasn't because their hands were dirty when they ate. It's because they broke tradition. They disobeyed the Mishnah. Tradition was of utmost importance to these religious leaders. Now, traditions are always an important part of society, whether it's first century Israel or in 2022, North America. We do lots of things based on tradition. Let's look at, look at some of the holiday traditions that we have today. Like take, take Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving dinner, for example. There are things that we eat for Thanksgiving dinner that we don't eat at any other meal throughout the year. Like cranberry sauce, stuffing, even, even the turkey. Um, full honesty to me, turkey's a very overrated, uh, overrated food. I mean, give me a ham or a tenderloin any day. Um, turkey's just not that strong of a main course to me. And, and it's kind of a pain in the neck. I mean, you bring this big frozen bird home, you need to thaw it for several days, then you need to season it or brine it, and then you bake it or fry it or, or smoke it or whatever method you choose, and then you have to carve it and pull out that wishbone, the neck, and, and all that stuff. And then you have this, this bird carcass that you have to dispose of, and then you eat it, and it makes you sleepy and groggy, and then you have to eat it for like the next week because you have so many leftovers. <laughs> We do all this not necessarily because turkey is some great culinary treat, but because it's tradition. It's tradition to eat turkey on Thanksgiving, but even if we didn't have turkey on Thanksgiving, we would still celebrate the holiday, right? Or how about Easter and Easter eggs? Um, obviously, the weird creepy bunny that brings these eggs in a basket is, is a marketing thing, but the tradition of Easter eggs has some origins in early Christianity. The egg symbolizes new life, and cracking the egg symbolizes Christ's resurrection and emergence from the sealed tomb. So Easter eggs have become a tradition. But Easter is still a reason to celebrate even if we don't die a single Easter egg. We can still celebrate Christ's resurrection without Easter eggs. Or how about Christmas traditions? Christmas is full of traditions. Um, I, could go, I could go a bunch of different ways with this, but one tradition that my family and I have is that we watch Christmas movies. There's lots of, lots of Christmas movies that we watch each year. So Anne and I, my wife, uh, we watch some of the, the true Christmas classics like Christmas Vacation and Die Hard. Those are the, the true Christmas classics. Um, our daughter's probably about 30 Christmas movies that they like, you know, Elf, The Grinch, and, and, a, and a whole list of others. But even if this year we, we cut the cord, canceled Netflix, and didn't watch a single Christmas movie, it wouldn't prevent us from celebrating Christmas because these things are just traditions. If we didn't watch movies or exchange gifts or didn't put up decorations, we would still celebrate Christmas because those are just traditions. And I'm not criticizing traditions here. Traditions are important. They're fun. Many of the holiday traditions, they point to Jesus and they're symbolic of why we celebrate the holiday in the first place. Maybe not watching Die Hard, but a lot of the, a lot of the other ones are, are symbolic of, of why we celebrate that, the, the, the holiday. But traditions aren't laws. They're, they're not commands from God. Scripture doesn't say thou shalt put up a Christmas tree. 
However, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were treating these traditions like that, like they were laws or commands from God. They placed traditions above God's commands. And here's, here's one thing about traditions. Traditions are external. We follow traditions externally, primarily for others to see. Again, think about our holiday traditions. The big Thanksgiving dinner spread on your table, decorating Easter eggs, giving each other a Christmas gift, Christmas decorations, all these things. Again, they're not necessarily bad things, but they're all done externally, done for others to see or done with others because traditions are external. Think about your own spiritual practices or even even some of the rituals and traditions that we have in the church. Are there any, any rituals that you find yourself doing more for others to see than for God to see? When we're singing, sometimes, sometimes people here, they'll, 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 they'll raise their arms or raise their hands uh, as, as they worship. Um, if you're doing this, ask yourself, am I doing this to express worship to my God and my creator? Or maybe are my arms up so others can see how deep and spiritual and worshipful I am and how much I love God? Or what about communion? Every week, we, we celebrate communion here at, at, at Fathom. Um, the Bible calls us to examine ourselves before celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it says if there's an issue between yourself and a brother or sister, that you should, you should address that issue before celebrating the Lord's Supper. So have you ever taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Like maybe, maybe you, were, uh, you were worried what others might think if you abstained from taking the table. Did you see Eric? He didn't take communion today. I wonder what's going on with him. And so maybe, maybe those types of thoughts um, crept in. So there, there are church traditions and rituals today that I think we can follow and completely miss their meaning because we're following them externally only. So here Jesus doesn't follow the external traditions of the Jewish elders and the religious leaders, and that's why they're critiquing him. That's why they've come to accuse him. And so next, we're going to see see Jesus' response to their accusation. And Jesus actually responds with an accusation of his own. Let's look at verse 3. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So, so far, essentially, this exchange can be summed up pretty briefly. The religious leaders accuse Jesus saying, you're breaking our traditions. And Jesus responds, well, you're breaking God's commands. Let me explain a little bit more what Jesus is saying and talking about here. In verse three, the commandment that Jesus is referring to is a fifth commandment. So back in Exodus 20, God gave Moses the 10 commandments and the fifth one is to honor your father and mother. And we're familiar with this commandment, right? Uh, Parents pull this out of context all the time and say, now Johnny, honor your your father and mother and eat your broccoli. We try to get get our kids to to do things and obey us. but I think we're familiar with the idea of respecting our parents, of honoring and obeying and listening to them. But the Bible takes this idea a step further because Jesus is referencing Exodus 20, but he's also referencing Exodus and, and, and passages in Leviticus, which state, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. 
The idea here is that honoring your father and mother is more than just obeying them. Because speaking ill against them or wishing ill on them or mocking or taunting them or not caring for them are all ways that one could also break this commandment. And I think we typically associate the idea of honoring our parents with when we're younger and when we still live under their roofs. Now, when we live in their home, we, we certainly need to obey their authority. The, there's, not, there's not any high school, a few, few high schoolers and middle schoolers that may need to hear this. Unfortunately, they're all downstairs. But when you live at home, your parents are the authority. But eventually we're old enough and we move out and we get to make our own decisions for ourselves. We still love and respect our parents, but they don't hold the same authority over us that, that they, that once we move out. That's kind of how we think, right? But in Jewish culture, it was a little bit different. Children in Jewish culture didn't move out of the home like we, didn't do, like we do today. They don't go to college out of state and rack up these big tuition bills, or they don't move, for, uh, they'll move out of state to, for, for another job. Um, in Jewish culture, you would often live in the same household, and if not the same household, the same hometown as your parents. So honoring your father and mother in the Jewish culture looked different. Children were expected to provide for and care for their parents when they got older. It wasn't Medicare, Medicaid, retiree communities, or, or senior living centers, or anything like that. The children provided the care that the aging parents needed. Because that's what the commandment to honor your father and your mother meant. It meant to honor them by caring for them into their old age. And so that's what Jesus is referencing here. Not just the idea of obeying and listening to your parents, but honoring them by caring for them as they get old. Now that commandment, came into contradiction with the traditions of the Mishnah. We just talked about how Mishnah placed huge importance on traditions like washing your hands or washing your plates and cups. But another Mishnah tradition was declaring something to be Corbin. You're getting a lot of Hebrew this morning. I apologize for that. But the word Corbin is Hebrew for a gift to God. The tradition that the Jewish elders followed was to declare something. It could be some earthly goods or, or some... Um, or some possession, maybe even your home or your savings. It could be anything, but they would declare these things to be Corbin or dedicated to God. And in doing so, in declaring something to be Corbin, it would absolve them of all other obligations on that item. So to, to declare, um, the, the tradition that, that they followed was they would declare their wealth or their possessions Corbin, they were dedicated to God, and so they couldn't possibly be used for something less important, like using it to provide for parents. It was dedicated to God. It can't be spent on earthly things or even earthly people. That was, that was a thinking. And so, so they would go on living and using their money and possessions just like normal, but totally free of any obligation to their parents because they had already declared it to be Corbin. It was kind of like a, some sort of tax loophole or something like that. Here's kind of a dumb way to illustrate this, but I drive a pickup truck. And I've, I've driven some type of pickup truck now for probably, probably 20 years. I don't need a truck for work, but it's, it's good to have a, a truck to haul gear when I go up to the mountains camping or fishing or skiing or whatever. But one thing I realized early on when I got a truck was that when people needed to move or, or move, move something large, a new appliance or some lumber or furniture or whatever, the first person that they're calling is the person that they know that owns a truck. And so I learned a while ago that one of the responsibilities that comes with owning a truck is that occasionally people would ask 
to borrow the truck and, and, uh, and move some stuff. And so I try to steward my truck well and, and help out when friends or neighbors need to borrow my truck or move something. But imagine if I, if I bought a truck and when I got home, I said to Ann and to my, to my girls, hey, guys, God really blessed us in providing this truck. And so we're gonna dedicate it to him. From now on, this is God's GMC Sierra. This truck, this truck is Corbin. And so, so then suppose that next week, Kyle Knight comes up to me and he says, hey, Eric, Jackie and I just bought a new sofa and delivery from Furniture Row is expensive and it's gonna take, take too long, but I can pick it up today for free. But the sofa's not gonna fit in my car. Can I borrow your truck to bring it back from Furniture Row? And so Kyle, I asked to borrow my truck to move a sofa. And suppose my response is, yeah, sorry, Kyle, my truck's already been dedicated to God. It can't be used for you and your sofa. And then I stay at home that day and I wash my truck and I, I shine the tires and I just drive around my truck in my nice clean truck, just kind of doing whatever I want to do with that truck, except for helping Kyle. Remember, I don't have to help him because this is God's truck. It's been dedicated to God. And so it can't be used for anything else. Pretty dumb approach, right? I'm sure Kyle would also agree with that. But that's essentially what the Jewish elders were doing here. And that's what Jesus is calling them out on. They're using their possessions for themselves instead of providing for their parents under the tradition that they had dedicated their possessions to God. And so in following their traditions, they were breaking God's commandment. And so the, the, the truck example is kind of a dumb one, but it got me thinking, do we do this today with maybe our money or our possession or our time? Like, have you ever not given money to someone or something who needs it or to like a ministry or a charity because you already gave your 10% to the church? Like your generosity was already effectively budgeted. You already met your giving for the month, your, your quota for the month. And so it prevents you from being generous elsewhere. Or maybe you kind of punted on having a devotional time during the week or going to D group that week because you already went to church on Sunday. You already, you already checked that box. You met your church or your Bible quota for the week. Again, my truck illustration was kind of a dumb one, but I think there's some areas where, where this thinking can, can play out in our lives that are not so dumb, that are a little bit more serious. And so Jesus just pointed out that the external traditions of the elders that they carry out for others to see are causing them to break God's commandments. And if that wasn't enough, in verse seven, he goes on and makes his strongest point. In verses seven through nine, Jesus continues and he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here Jesus is paraphrasing the prophet Isaiah. He's paraphrasing Isaiah 29, 13. And Isaiah says this about God's people in verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. So I want, to notice, I want you to notice a couple things here in what Isaiah said. The first are the two phrases, with their mouth and with their lips. So he's talking about our speech, our words, the things that come out of our mouths. And so in paraphrasing Isaiah, Jesus is hitting on the fact that our words, just like the traditions of the elders, are external. They're, they're things said and done for others to see and hear. They may be said about God, but may not necessarily said, be said for God. The second thing to notice here is the phrase, their hearts. 
Now, where are our hearts? They're inside of us. Our hearts are internal. And so Jesus is contrasting the external, which is our words, with the internal, which is our hearts. He's contrasting the traditions of the religious leaders with the truth of God. Contrasting the empty words from our mouths with the power and truth of God in our hearts. In other words, he's saying traditions are external, but God's truth is internal. And so Jesus is pointing out to them that we can obey and follow traditions externally, saying the right things, doing the right rituals, going through the right motions, and it may all look good. But if it isn't from the heart, if it isn't from inside of us, then Jesus says it's all in vain. That's what he's saying in verse 9, that acting and worshiping in word only and not from the heart can lead us into vain worship. So what does this mean? What is, what is vain worship? Well, the word you hear used here for vain means fruitless or without results or futile. And so Jesus is saying that when we only worship God with empty words, if we're just going through the motions, just following tradition, doing what we've always done, that is futile. It's pointless. It's all just talk. But I think Jesus is also saying something else here because he just contrasted the external and the internal. But now he's contrasting how it works and how it impacts our worship. You see, one definition of vanity is fruitless and futile. A second definition of vanity is showing an excessively high opinion of oneself or one's worth. Doesn't that sound a little bit like worship or like self-worship? I think Jesus is basically saying here that when we only go through the motions, when we only worship God in speech, only worshiping him externally, when we just follow the rituals and traditions, we're not doing it for God, but rather we're doing it for ourselves to make ourselves feel good or look good to others. We're showing an excessively high opinion of ourselves, but our hearts are far from God. So vain worship is really just an external and showy, but ultimately fruitless tradition. It's all talk. Because true worship is worshiping God and proclaiming the truth of God in our hearts. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So, so in the church, we talk often and frequently about our hearts. And we do this because the Bible talks often and frequently about our hearts. Because God doesn't want our empty words or our lip service or our traditions because these things are all external. Instead, God wants our hearts. Throughout the Bible, we read, believe in our heart, love from the heart, sing from the heart, give thanks from our heart, obey from the heart, give generously from the heart. But how do we do this? What, what does this look like to do something from the heart? How do we do what Jesus in this passage calls us to do? How do we worship him and live in his truth internally in our hearts? A pastor friend of mine, he would frequently talk about what he called our heart root. And it's the idea that our, our hearts are like roots. Just like roots on a tree or a plant are in the ground and buried, our hearts are buried inside of us. Our hearts are internal. And how the roots of a plant grow will determine how the plant itself will grow how healthy it will become, how much fruit it will bear. But the hard thing is you can't see how the roots of the plant are growing because they're in the ground. You can't just go and look at the roots to see how healthy or unhealthy the plant is. The roots are internal, just like our hearts. 
So a couple of weeks ago, Ann and I, we needed some plants for our flower beds around our house. And so we went to a local nursery and we picked out some plants. And I like buying perennials instead of annuals. Perennials are the plants that are gonna, they're gonna grow and they'll come up again year after year after you plant them. While the annuals, they'll flower for one year and look really, really nice, but then they die. And so I always just thought perennials are, are a better investment um, because you can enjoy them for, for many years to come. But because of that, perennials typically cost more. Um, so anyway, we go to this nursery and we pick out the plants we want. And like anything these days, it wasn't cheap. I mean, a few hundred dollars later, we had our plants. Um, we couldn't afford to eat for the rest of the week, but we had, we had some plants. And we bought these plants, we brought them home, and we started planting them in our flower beds. Now, I just spent half my paycheck on these plants, so I wanted to make sure that they were going to grow and, and get established and thrive and look good in our landscaping. And so I was careful and deliberate in planting them. Now, if you've done any gardening or landscaping, you'll, you'll know there's a few things that you need to do when planting something. The first thing is to position it well. You need to find the right place to plant it. Is a plant close enough to a water source? Will it receive enough sunlight? Does it have room to grow and expand? Are there any tree roots or rocks where you're planting that may, may make it hard to grow? The position of the plant is important. Then next, you want to prepare the soil. You'll dig a hole big enough to hold that plant, and then you'll, you'll till the soil. You'll break it up. You'll soften it. You'll work the soil, maybe pulling any rocks out of the soil. It's important to prepare the soil before you plant it. And then, then after you plant the, the, put the plant in the hole, you'll want to provide nutrients to the soil. And so you'll, you'll fill the hole in with dirt. Maybe you'll, you'll put some potting soil in there or some good compost. You'll water the soil. Maybe you'll put some miracle Grow in that thing and fertilize it. But you want to you wanna provide nutrients for the plant. And then finally, you're going to protect the soil. So maybe you'll put some mulch on top of it to, to hold in the moisture and the nutrients, keep them from evaporating. Maybe you'll put like a, a trellis or, or a, some fencing around it to protect it. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Our hearts, our heart roots are no different than planting a plant or a tree. And so, church, today I want you to ask yourself some questions. What what is the position of my heart relative to God? Do you seek to stay close to him? Are you in regular contact with him? Maybe you've been walking closely with him recently, or or maybe you're here this morning and you're distant from God. You're, You're far off from him. Maybe you've been walking with him in word only externally, but your heart is far from him. What's, what's the position of your heart today? And next, ask yourself, have I prepared my heart to go deeper with God? Are you doing things to prepare for greater depth and growth? Do you practice spiritual disciplines? Things like Sabbath rest, generosity, giving, fasting, living in community with other believers? Are you doing things that prepare your heart to grow and grow deeper with God? Ask yourself, am I providing my heart what it needs to grow deeper? Like spending time in God's word, learning and studying the truth of God's word. Do you, do you spend time in worship, both individually and corporately? Are you having prayer time, time for thanksgiving and gratefulness, remembering what God has done for you? What are the spiritual nutrients that you're feeding your heart? What are you providing your heart to help it grow? And then ask, am I protecting my heart? Do you assess and monitor the spiritual condition of your heart? Do you have some accountability in place in areas of sin and struggle? 
Do you have fellow believers around you, maybe a spouse or a friend, maybe someone in your D group who can walk alongside of you in these areas? How are you protecting your heart? These are all ways that we can cultivate a healthy heart and a healthy heart root. One that's growing internally and growing towards God, not just externally following him. So as we wrap up today, you just heard me use the word cultivate. And back in early February, the elders, we held Fathom's annual meeting for 2022. And one of the things that we do in our annual meetings is to lay out our vision for the coming year. And the vision that we laid out for 2022 was the word cultivate. And cultivate means to, to develop and grow in a healthy manner that fosters more growth. And so this year as a church, we're focused on growing our D groups and our D group leaders. We're growing our elder board with three elder candidates. We've sent our lead pastor on sabbatical so that he can grow and deepen his union with Christ. We've, we've grown our staff, bringing on Karina and Joel and Josh. And so cultivates a vision for Fathom Church in 2022, but it's also, vision, also the vision for the body of Fathom. For each member and each regular attender to be growing, to be growing their heart and their heart roots closer to Jesus so that our hearts are not far from him. How are you doing this? We're not quite halfway through 2022. How are you doing? It's, it's the end of May, it's springtime, the grass is getting green, flowers are blooming all around us, things are growing. Are you growing? Is your heart growing closer to Christ? Are you doing things to help your heart root grow? Have you positioned yourself so you can grow closer to God? Have you prepared your heart and provided your heart with things to help it grow? Are you protecting your heart? Are you cultivating a heart that is growing in Christ? Or are you simply just following Christ externally through traditions and empty words? I want to leave you this morning with an excerpt from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In this passage, he, Paul's writing to servants or to, to bond servants, um, and, and he's instructing them to obey their masters. But I think it's got some great application for us today. And today's passage is from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. Paul says to obey with a sincere heart as you would obey Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So church, let's go into the rest of this long weekend and into our week, continuing to obey and worship and grow in Christ, cultivating a heart root that's growing, not living externally for others to see, but growing internally in our hearts for Christ to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to gather corporately and worship you corporately and, and unpack your word and, and learn from your word together. God, I just pray for, um, for us, for the rest of our time this morning as we, as we go through some of these um, traditions and rituals, things like singing and praying and worshiping and, and, and taking uh, part in, in the Lord's Supper. And God, I pray that we would do these things not just for others to see, not just for, for going through the motions, 
but that we would, we would reflect and spend time thinking about what each of these things mean um, and why we do them. And that, that we, would, we would do them from the heart, focus on, on the internal and our internal relationship with you and not the external and what others may see or think. And God, I pray for each person here this morning that um, in, this, in this springtime, as, as we kind of think of, of this time of new growth and of, of plants growing and things like that, that we would also uh, spend some time to reflect and focus on our own growth and how we're, how we're growing with you. And God, I pray that we would, we would, take, the, we would take the necessary steps to, to position ourselves in, in right relationship and right position to you. That we're, we're walking closely with you and, and we're able to, to learn from you and, 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 uh, and walk well with you. That we would prepare our hearts for growth and provide our hearts the things that it needs to grow and then, and then protect our hearts so that they can grow healthy and grow well. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, we would take those necessary steps, whatever they may, need, may be, whatever nutrients, spiritual nutrients that our, our hearts need, help us to identify those and then, and then provide them for our hearts. If it's protection, if it's someone to come alongside of us, God, I pray we would, we would make those, um, those, those relationships and, 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 make those, and make those asks for someone to come alongside of us. So God, I pray that we would grow. We would grow closer to you, that our hearts would grow closer inside of us, closer to you. And that we wouldn't be focused on the external traditions and rituals, God, but we would be focused on our walk and our hearts. God, help us to grow and help us to grow healthy. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.